Hey, it's February 6th, 2022, and you are listening to the Pure Capital Podcast. Uh, today on the podcast, it is the first week of the month, first week of February of 2022. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit of real estate. Um, specifically, today, we're going to talk about how you finance real estate. There are tons of different ways that you can go about financing your real estate um, and trying to put yourself in a position to either lever up or lever down on on a real estate purchase. And that's what we want to kind of go through today. Some of the different tactics and strategies and, and uh, some of the different places you can go to find that financing as well. So with that, James, hop on, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, Norm. I'm uh, still recovering a little bit from this ice storm that just swept across central Texas. But uh, other than that, I'm uh, I'm doing great and excited to to chat today about this. I think it's very important for anyone doing any kind of purchasing for anything from a you know residential property to investment property. So excited to talk about all the things today. Yeah, good, good. So how's the, uh, how, how uh, is traffic moving there again? All I've seen on the news, even up here in North Carolina is how Texas is just, everybody's sitting on the highway going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, I can see <laughs> that major highway from, uh, it runs north or south out of my apartment window and um, there was very little traffic on it the the past day or two, and and even when there was, they were going pretty slow. So, definitely a little little bit of shell shock. Not as bad as uh, it was last year, and they had to shut a lot of stuff down. There's no power. Luckily, kept everything on uh, this time around, but definitely uh, definitely shell shocked for. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's uh, that's nasty. Um, but you know, that'll, uh, that'll happen. And as I was talking about on the last episode, you know, I, I talked about how some of that winter weather is kind of affecting the, the real estate market and the short-term rental business a little bit too, you know? So those, those, uh, those are specific things that, you know, you can't, uh, you can't necessarily, um, prepare for, but at the same time, definitely affect business as well. So, well, let's, uh, let's hop into this thing. So I guess the first thing that I'll bring up is, uh, is kind of a question for you, James, but, um, as far as I know, if you're going to go buy real estate, you got to have just boatloads of cash. And if you don't have boatloads of cash, then you're just screwed and you're not in the game, right? <laughs> Some people might think that it's, uh, you know, I think, uh, when I bought my first house, I, I definitely thought I had to have a lot more money than I realized I needed to have to purchase it. So, um, I think it'll be interesting to really maybe uh, remove the, the rose-colored glasses for some folks to really see behind the curtains on different, you know, strategic ways you can really set yourself up to purchase the. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it, so that was my same um, kind of thought process going into uh, my first purchase of a, of a piece of property. And then, you know, even for a while after that, that was kind of my thought process, too, is that, you know, gosh, you just have to be so cash-heavy to make this thing happen. Um, it, it can be can be difficult to to do, and I th- I think that there's a lot of people out there who, um, you know, don't see beyond uh, beyond cash or uh, Fannie and Freddie, um, and they they, you know, if they can't get that 30 year uh, fixed rate mortgage from Fannie and Freddie, that's based on their income and based on their credit score, then uh, it's just over for them, right? And, or or they've got to have cash to do it, um, or if they hit, hit that ten loan Fannie and Freddie limit, then they got to have cash. They got to pay off their properties to get those loans off their books so that they can go buy more more real estate. And that just flat out is 
is not the case. And we're going to get we're going to get into that a little bit here today and just kind of talk about some of the different loan products are out there and how we have went about finding different capital um, to keep the businesses rolling uh, and and expand businesses as well. You know, because there's just so many different ways that you can you can do that. And we'll go through some of those now. So the first way that you can uh, purchase property, whether it's a rental property, a flip, a, um, or, uh, uh, you know, really any, any sort of property like that is uh, cash, right? So I can go to go in, I can throw cash down on the table and I can buy a property. And there certainly is a strategic advantage to utilizing cash um, from the standpoint of, um, giving you a little bit of an edge when you're making that purchase. I mean, you definitely bought sellers of real estate, especially if they are um, residential sellers, they love cash. Like it's not uncommon for you to be able to get a deal uh, out from under someone at a lower price uh, than what someone else would pay for it financed, which uh, to me, makes absolutely no sense. Like on the sell side, if I'm on the sell side of real estate, like I'm taking my highest price, um, unless there's like a substantially quicker closing associated with that cash purchase, um, and the dollar value is not that that much different. But you would be surprised at how many people here, you know, okay, this same piece of property, three hundred seventy-five thousand uh, dollars financed with a thirty-day close versus uh, three hundred and fifty or three hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars cash purchase with a twenty day close, and they'll take the cash uh, the cash deal. And um, so, you know, I I don't to me I don't understand why people do that, but uh, what I do know is that you know there's definitely an advantage there that can be had for yourself if you are coming in and actually making those purchases with cash. Now. Those cash purchases, um, one thing that I'll denote is that they don't necessarily have to be your cash uh, that you are making that purchase with. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about um, some some more more of the like big capital raises uh, that you can do out there in the business world. Um, but, uh, you know, typically that's how people would think about it is they're bringing their cash and they're going and making that purchase. And, and that's good. Um but the one thing that I'll say about that is it's very, very difficult for you to expand and scale up very quickly um, if you're making all cash purchases. So uh, next thing that we got here that we can move on to is um, is just your standard kind of Fannie and Freddie loan. So everybody seems everybody thinks through and, and thinks uh, or everybody knows about, uh, you know, buying your first home. And using that kind of conventional, either conventional loan or FHA loan to do that. And frankly, if you have a conversation with loan officers or realtors and stuff like that, they think that that's the only way that you can uh, make a purchase, you know, and, and it's important that you have that high credit score and that down payment ready to rock and roll to make those purchases. And, and what I'll say about these loan products is um, they're good from the standpoint of, you can usually get yourself an extremely low interest rate. So if low interest rate and uh, cheap financing is your goal, uh, then those loans tend to be good loans. Um, 
that being said, they're incredibly restrictive in what you can, what you can do with them. Um, so, you know, if you're making a, if you're making a real estate purchase as a rental, um, typically you're going to get anywhere between three and four and a half percent, uh, 20% down to secure one of those types of loans. Um, and they're going to be looking directly at you. So it doesn't matter really what your business is. Really the most important thing to them is how much income do you make? So what is your, what is your typically your earned income that you have on a, on your taxes on your 1040? Um, and then what's your credit score and what's your debt to income ratio? And like, those are the things that are the guiding force, not necessarily the, uh, business or, uh, you know, how much reserves you have in the business or cash flow through the business. Um, like some of the other lenders that we'll get into here a little bit later, uh, have, but these are typically the loans that people, people, you know, uh, are, are going to go for. So if you're doing, if you're buying your own personal residence, uh, you get an, and you get an FHA loan, you can get all the way down to three and a half percent down, um, for those loans. Uh, you could buy, do a second home loan. If you're purchasing a second home, you can get down to 10%, um, and then down payments. And then on uh, rental property, typically you're going to fall in at about 20% down payment, um, in order to secure one of those very low interest rate Fannie and Freddie loans. Um, and if they're, if it's a first house loan, you know, you can get, uh, you can get all the way down in the these days you can get below 3%, which is freaking crazy to think about, but you can do that. Um, so, uh, probably the best way, in my opinion, the best way to utilize these loans to kind of expand your portfolio is, um, through doing some sort of house hacks. So, uh, buying a duplex, living in one side of them, using a three and a half percent down, uh, primary residence loan, and then renting out the other side and, uh, you know, paying that loan back and living for free um, is a way that you can very, very quickly kind of kickstart your real estate career using a little bit of a creative way of financing things uh, out there in the world um, with those super low interest rate loans. Uh, myself, personally, I've got a primary residence that I that I own. Uh, that is is split up into two basically separate apartments. It doesn't look like it at all from the outside, um, but I've got an upstairs uh, and a downstairs, and they're both full apartments uh, with separate driveways and separate garages and everything like that. And I Airbnb the downstairs, so I use the downstairs as a short term rental um, and have my traditional uh, traditional. Um, Fannie and Freddie loan on it. So th that's, that's probably the best way, in my opinion, to utilize those loans. So before I move on to um, all the other and better way to get better ways to get loans, James, you got any comments, man? I've talked for a little bit. No, for sure. I mean, I think that was a, a just super important kind of data dump. And, uh, you know, when I was going through the first purchase for my home, um, you know, I, as a first time homeowner, you just, there's certain things you just don't know until you know them. Uh, and so I think it's great to kind of walk through the steps. Um, what's one of the, like, I think one of the first confusing things for me when I was going through the process was 
understanding like the difference of you know the conventional versus the FHA or some of these other uh, kind of different types of loans you can get as a you know as a residential property is there a big difference between them or is it more just you know the types of qualifications in order to get that type of loan like is there you know is one worse than the other Are they all kind of uh, standard or how should folks kind of think through that I know that was something that was really kind of confusing for me at first on how to decide which kind of you know um, loan product to go with yeah so to me they're all kind of the they're all kind of the same um, honestly you know it, uh, other people would argue with me about this like you could uh, you could I could pull a realtor on here and they would argue all day long that there's all these nuances between FHA conventional and and uh, you know VA loans and and different things but the, like their behind the scenes banking on them is pretty much the same. The difference on the front end is qualifications to get them. So like a VA loan, you got to be a veteran to, to uh, get that type of loan. And um, you know, if you are a veteran uh, you can get all the way up to 0% down loans, um, which is, is pretty spectacular if you're doing something like what I said before, uh, and doing some sort of ha- house hack. I mean, there's there's lots of um, really great products that are out there uh, in the VA loan space um, to to be able to do that. Uh, but uh, FHA's Fair Fair Housing Act loan, um, and it, you know, you can go all the way to a three percent, three and a half percent as low as three and a half percent down on an FHA loan. I think conventional loans, you can only go down to 5% down, um, which really frankly, isn't that big of a difference. Um, but the, the way that they're underwrote is all pretty doggone similar. Um, and you know, they're pretty much all those types of loans are going to get sold off to Fannie and Freddie and, uh, get sold off into, um, kind of government backed loans. And, and so there, there's not too much different difference, in my opinion, um, between the two. A realtor would tell you that if you come with a conventional loan, then you uh, look better to a seller uh, than if you have an FHA loan or a USDA loan or something like that. Um, because it, I guess, because it seems like, you know, maybe you've got a bigger uh, down payment or you're more... Um, financially stable to be able to do that, you know, could be the, the way that they look at that. Um, but gosh, in my opinion, I don't think there, to me, there's no difference really when you get right down to it. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, I think at first when you hear all these different terms, you kind of think that they are very different or have different benefits or upsides or downsides. So I think it's important to note that, you know, when you really get underneath the hood and look at the actual loan product you're dealing with, it's not, too different. It's just the qualifications that affect it. So hopefully that, that helps some folks listening that are kind of trying to narrow some things down, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Good, good. Okay. So let's, so let's move on. You know, the, the two things that we've talked about already, um, cash, VA, FHA, conventional, all these loan products that either, either you're bringing your own money toward or they're uh, Fannie and Freddie style loan products um, that have tons and tons of restrictions around them. Uh, you know, they're, they're un- the underwriting process in a lot of situations almost makes no sense. Um, so if you ever find yourself in a position where you're trying to get a loan and they look at your income and your, 
in your bank account and they say, oh, well, we're not, we, we recognize that that income is there, but because of how you got that income, we're not going to count that income. So it doesn't count towards your loan as if it's not actually there. Like that, that process right there is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of, it's kind of insane. I understand how they came to the conclusion that they need to do stuff like that, but it makes no sense. Right. Uh, so those loans uh, can be can can lack flexibility um, because of that. You know, it's it's very much dependent on you, and it's very much restrictive uh, based on uh, some bureaucratic bullcrap that they put together to say you get X amount of loans, and here's all the criteria that you have to meet to uh, to get these loans. Um, so that's the downside to them. <laughs> the upside, as I said before, is, you know, you, you get a lower interest rate. Typically you get typically get a very inexpensive interest rate with those types of loans. They're also going to be loaned direct to a person. Um, typically you're not going to be able to get one of those loans loaned to a business. So, so moving on to that, let's, let's hop into like the next level up uh, that you can go go with. And to me, the next level up are um, portfolio loans and small bank loans. And when you get into these portfolio and small banks, you can start to get much, much more flexibility within the loan products that you get your hands on. Um, so I've seen that there's so many different things that you can do here. But generally speaking, when you're talking about a portfolio lender and you're talking about a small bank lender, uh, usually what they're going to be looking at is they're going to be looking at your uh, balance sheet and your profit and loss statement of your business and your personal life. So if you don't have a personal balance sheet, you need to put one together because when you walk into a small bank and you talk to that loan officer, they're going to want to look at your balance sheet. They don't necessarily care uh, how much money you've got you make at your job or anything like that. They want to see that balance sheet. They want to see how much you're worth, how you're managing your business, um, and whether you are going to be capable of paying that loan back in the future or not. So they want to see that. But then the second thing that they want to see and the more important thing that they want to see is that deal that you're bringing them, that property that you're bringing them, is that property and that deal going to be something that's going to service that loan? So is that going to be something that's going to pay that loan back? Is it a good deal or is it a bad deal? And is the bank going to get their money back or is the bank not going to get their money back based on the performance of the deal? So performance of the deal first and then you second. And to me, that's the type of position that you want to be in because there's no restriction, really no restriction other than your ability to manage the business on how many of those loans you can get and how quickly you can expand um, within those certain banks. It's it's based a lot more on the relationship that you have with the bank, the presentation that you can put together, the deal that you have uh, that's setting in front of you that you're showing to the bank, um, and, and uh, your personal balance sheet. So your ability to have your own finances in, in order in a way where it's appealing to the bank to make the decision to move forward with you. So they don't have as many restrictions on, uh, you know, what it is that they're allowed to uh, loan you versus not loan you. 
Now, poor, typical portfolio lender is going to be going to be very similar in nature. Um, both of these people or both of these types of banks typically are going to have some sort of minimum credit score threshold. They are going to have that. So if you don't have better than, say, a 660 credit score, then you will be weeded out and they don't necessarily care what your balance sheet looks like or anything like that because you haven't met that kind of minimum threshold. But once you get over that minimum threshold, then it's all about the deal and the balance sheet. Um, and if those two things match up and those two things look good, then they're going to cut you that they're going to cut you that loan. Now, these loans, gosh, I've seen there's so many different products that you can you can uh, get with these and you can have different um, different conversations with especially small banks. Uh, sometimes they'll even structure a loan specifically for you based on that specific deal. Um, you know, they'll have something that is a basis in place, uh, but then they'll actually build out a loan for you that fits your criteria and fits you a little bit better than uh, what um, one of, maybe one of their standard products is that they have have to offer. But you can get anywhere, you know, between um, 15 year loans uh, up to 30 year loans uh, from these from these groups for rental properties. Um, and I've seen anywhere from as low as, you know, four and a four, really four percent up to probably six and a half percent interest rates. Um, you're almost always going to have to have 20 percent down. Uh, to make that purchase, I have seen some small banks go as low as 10. If you've got a lot of performing loans with them or you have a lot of uh, cash in reserves in their banks. Um, so there's there's a lot of flexibility in a lot of different ways that you can go with these things. Uh, these are usually going to be com commercial loans. And and really what you need to do is you need to walk into a small bank uh, and you need to say, hey, can I speak to the commercial loan officer? And that's really the best way to, to kind of kick this thing off is just go start having conversations with small banks, commercial loan officers, and they're going to help you to find all the products uh, that are out there that kind of fit the needs that, you, that you're going after um, to make, make purchases like this. Now, within um, these, small, these small banks and within... Uh, but portfolio lenders, you know, a lot of times what we're talking about here is is making um, purchases on rental properties that are already cash flowing or that you're going to very quickly turn into a cash flow positive um, property, whether that's a short term rental or whether that's a long term rental. It doesn't necessarily matter as long as those numbers look good. Uh, but they also it's very common for them to do uh, like a construction style loan. Um, for things like fix and flips and for uh, actual new construction. So it's not uncommon for small banks and, and even some portfolio lenders to allow you to take a loan with them where they do something something uh, that sounds a little bit complex, but in all reality is, is pretty simple, uh, where they will write you a note. So the, say they write you a note for six months, um, a six month fix and flip loan where they charge you interest only for the first six months. Um, and then it rolls into a 20 year mortgage. 
Um, so typically the way that something like that would work is you go in, you show them the deal, you give them the uh, full rundown on, on uh, what the after repair value is going to be. Um, you give them the rundown on what the value is going to be as is, and you give them a full kind of scope of work of what you're going to be doing to the property. Usually what they'll do is they'll send out an appraiser and the appraiser will go uh, take that scope of work, go look at the property and give an after repair value appraisal. Um, so they will say, hey, once all this stuff is done, this property is going to be worth uh, $160,000, for instance, and um, we're purchasing it for $50,000. And a lot of times what will happen, assuming all those numbers work out, you will get the loan to purchase the property um, and then they will underwrite you for that $160,000 and you can, as you're doing your work, basically you take your receipts in, turn them into the bank and the bank then issues you uh, the funds or usually it's going to be about 80% of the funds um, that you turn into that bank uh, for the actual rehab itself. They're going to charge you interest only on all of that, on that whole loan, until that six-month period is done. And then that uh, that property then rolls into a long-term mortgage um, at the typical uh, portfolio lender or small bank terms. So that's small banks and portfolio lenders. James, you got any comments on those? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, being, at least for me, being, you know, in my mid-20s, um, it's something I, I wish I would have maybe realized sooner coming out of college was to really just, even though maybe I wasn't going to make a bigger purchase where I needed to go to get, you know, portfolio lender, the small bank, um, to realize that, you know, if that's something I want to do in my future to really start building that balance sheet. Um, and so I just think I just, that's an important note that I kind of want to call out is just, you know, you got to kind of really start building that balance sheet as soon as you can and, and being smart about things, you know, not carrying bad debt. Uh, you know, if, if you're carrying, carrying debt, make sure it's good, good types of debt um, and just build up a savings and try to try to just start building that balance sheet. I know that's helped, helped me a lot just in, you know, the past one to two years that I've really started to focus and address that. Um, and so I think it's just something to be aware of so that when you go into those uh, you know, those situations, you just can, have very clear, concise, um, you know, propositions that you can talk to these uh, lenders about and show them that, you know, you're the real deal and, and you really want to push through and, and get get a deal closed. So I just think that's an interesting note, something to kind of think about is, is people are really trying to think through how they can make their real estate business bigger or how they can, you know, target some of these portfolio lenders or kind of uh, small bank loans. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. And when you're talking about a balance sheet, typically what these banks are looking for is global cash flow. So what what that means is, are you good, steady cash flow positive um, holistically? So, you know, if you have a bunch of debt, I mean, you can have a ton of debt, right? And it all be good debt that puts money in your pocket and your global cash flow looks great. Uh, on the flip side of that, you could have a whole ton of debt that's bad debt, that's cash flow negative. And your global cash flow looks terrible and therefore they're not going to lend you anything, right? So it's global cash flow. So you can manage that all the way out. So you could even have bad debt as long as your global cash flow looks much better. Bad debt, again, it's called bad debt for a reason, right? <laughs> you don't necessarily want to have it, um, but you can still have some of that as long as that holistic picture, that global cash flow looks good. 
banks are more than likely going to. Yeah, I love that. I think uh, a quick analogy of that would be, you know, your first couple of years out of college, instead of going and buying the $40,000 car, uh, you know, take that capital and uh, put it to work in a, in a duplex that, that you can do where, you know, you live on one side and, and rent out the next and start building that those cash flow streams. So just something to think about. I think a lot of folks, uh, especially as they come out of college, transition into their careers early, uh, early on, just aren't thinking about it. I know uh, I wouldn't have been thinking about it if it wasn't for, you know, people in my life that kind of talked me or coached me through those things. So just something I think that's really important for folks, especially making the transition coming out of college. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I really, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, when you're putting that $40,000 car on your, on your balance sheet, it goes on the liability side of your balance sheet and there's nothing that goes on the asset side of your balance sheet. Right. So that is just pure bad debt. It's cash flowing out of your pocket instead of into your pocket. Whereas if you would have went and grabbed that, uh, conventional loan, went and grabbed that conventional loan and, and, um, you know, bought a primary that was a duplex, that you rented, uh, the loan goes on the liability side of your balance sheet. Um, but the, the asset itself, the property, uh, goes on the asset side and the cash flow, um, over runs that loan and, and cash is flowing into your, into your pocket, right? Just those two examples, like that one move right there. Uh, example number one, a bank's not going to loan you anything. Example number two, a bank will, be happy to give you uh, almost anything that you want. So just a very important thing to think through. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on here. So we, we talked about small banks. We talked about um, portfolio lenders. Uh, the next type of lender that you can get into um, there's a couple more on the banking side of things. There are a lot of uh, companies out of there who out there who do kind of private loans um, that they package up and sell off as bonds. Uh, you know, typically they're not too much different than a portfolio lender or sh- shorter term loans. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can get uh, hard money loans. Um, so hard money loans are typically going to be shorter term loans that are quite expensive. So they're usually going to charge you points. Um, so say, you know, two points for the entire loan. So if it's a $100,000 loan, they're going to take 2% uh, out of the gate, and then they're going to charge you a pretty high interest rate. So anywhere between, you know, seven and I've seen as much as 25% um, for that type of, of loan. Uh, and the term is going to be uh, usually pretty short. Um, so six to 12 months, uh, a lot of times people use these loans, these loans for fix and flips, or they use them as kind of like a bridge loan, uh, to get the property under contract, get it purchased and then turn around and refinance into a better, uh, mortgage, like a 30 year fixed, um, through somebody else, pay off that, uh, pay off that loan and, uh, get that done. So these loans, absolutely have their place uh, because typically they're not going to look at a credit score. Typically they're not going to look at really anything other than the property, because if you don't pay the loan, they're going to just take the property. Um, So if the property makes sense, if the deal makes sense, even if you don't make sense, um, if the deal makes sense, more than likely they're going to lend on it. Uh, But they are very expensive. Um, They're really good in a pinch. 
but it, if you can get uh, if you can get things worked out between with a small bank uh, or a or a portfolio lender, uh, that's usually going to be the better way to go. But but I will say one more time, you know, these things do have their purpose. Um, they certainly have their purpose uh, and are worth doing some diligence on and, and kind of pursuing to understand what what kind of hard money lenders are out there. Um, to help you expand your business. You never know when you're going to be in a position. How I've used them in the past is a deal pops up and it's a hot deal and I've got to get it quickly uh, and I'll just put the thing under contract, contact one of these groups, um, get a portfolio loan, or I, I'm sorry, get a hard money loan, close quickly. Um, that's another big advantage of a hard money loan is usually they can close within 10 days. Um, get that property closed quickly, and then I'll figure it out from there. You know, I'll go go refi a little bit later on, or I'll I'll uh, you know carry that note for a little while until I decide exactly how I want to transition that out. Um, but very rarely am I going to keep one of those loans for a long duration of time. Um, the next type of loan that we have in the books is really just that I want to talk about is just a. Um, it's just seller financing. So it is a loan between you and the person who actually owns the property. Uh, and a lot of times that's going to come through in the form of just a simple promissory note. Um, so to me, this is the easiest way to do a deal. There is not much that is easier than this type of loan, because literally all you have to do is have a deal with the person who you're purchasing from, go to an attorney, have the attorney write up that note, uh, close the deal or close the, the property, attach the note to the, to the deed and you're done. I mean, it's just, it's so simple. Um, and the terms are going to be whatever you negotiate, right? So a lot of times it depends on, you know, who's kind of in that position of power, you know, does the seller really need to sell the property, um, but not need the money right now? Or do you, does the seller not need to sell the property. Um, and you really need, you really want the property, but don't have any money. Right. And that's going to kind of dictate the terms. Um, so, you know, typically, uh, you'll see deals that are, um, I know a, a couple of people who do deals who do a lot of seller financing. So they will, they'll do fix and flips, um, they'll fix the property and then they will sell or finance that property off to somebody else. They'll ask for a little bit of a higher price than what that property may be worth or may be, um, that you, they typically would sell it for, uh, they'll ask for some sort of a down payment. Uh, you know, it, it, and it could be anything. I mean, it could be as low as 1%, as high as 50%. Um, and they will then finance the rest of it at anywhere between zero and a hundred percent interest, uh, throughout, um, the duration of some amount of years. It's all completely variable, all completely negotiable. And all you have to do is strike the deal with the individual. They have to be willing to do it. And then the attorney has to sit down, paper it up, write it up. Everybody signs and you have yourself a, you have yourself a deal. So those uh, can be uh, my favorite types of loans uh, as a seller financing loan. James, any questions on those two before we move on? No, I don't think any questions. I think the examples you had were, were great in talking to them. I think, um, you know, between Norm and I, Norm's, uh, uh, you know, much more experienced uh, with, with some of these 
structures and have actually, you know, leveraged some of these tools that he's talked about to, uh, to purchase properties and build a portfolio. Um, you know, I myself am a, am a little bit more novice and have, have a couple properties, but I'm still learning the ropes. And if you fall more in that category, like me, I definitely would advise you um, to really find someone like, like Norm or someone who, you know, that has a little bit more, you know, experience in the real estate world and, and talk to them before, uh, doing a hard money or, uh, you know, a seller finance and just to make sure you're getting that, that kind of second, second opinion in there. I think it's super important. I know Norm's helped me a lot and I've been able to bounce stuff off him. So definitely, uh, you know, find someone in your network who's got that experience and, and just talk to him before you do those things. Cause those do get a little more complicated. Uh, it doesn't follow as much of your standard process as a, you know, buying a residential duplex, um, might through a, you know, traditional bank loan. So just something to think about, uh, as you're, you're looking at these kind of, uh, more interesting and uh, kind of unique loan products that you can take advantage of to, to get a product. Yeah. And to that point, make sure that you, you know, make sure that you understand the product, you're reading all the fine print, you really are doing the diligence that you need to be doing on the loan itself, because at the end of the day, you know, you're fully responsible for that. You know, you're the one who's being, who's putting your name down on that line and uh, sometimes personally guaranteeing that loan. Um, so, you know, you got to do your diligence. You got to make sure that you understand all the products before you, you move forward with them. So, I mean, I'm kind of giving everybody a little bit of an overview here and, and letting you know what those different products and different strategies are out there, but gosh, you got to do your own diligence on this stuff and you got to make sure that you, you, uh, fully understand it, um, before you do, before you do anything. That's a lot of the reason why people don't uh, stray outside of a conventional mortgage um, is because they don't spend the time to do the diligence and understand what these things are and what these options are. So, all right, next up, uh, we're moving on to uh, some of the private lending side of things. Um, so there are lots of ways to do private lending and, you know, seller financing really is just, is nothing more than a private loan. Um, you know, it's, it's financed by the person who is, who is selling you the property and it's a private loan. Uh, but there's also lots of people out there who are interested in, uh, writing loans that are secured by real estate, um, as well. So, you know, uh, people who have money that are sitting around who don't want that money going into the stock market because, you know, for whatever reason, right. Whether they, uh, don't see a good outlook for, for a market or they want some more um, some little bit more form of stability. Uh, it's very common for people with money sitting around to um, write private loans uh, to real estate investors uh, for that for that capital. And that can come in many different ways. It can come in um, just a simple fixed rate loan uh, that they write to you uh, that is then then has is placed as a lien against that property, um, typically wrote up by, by your attorney um, between you and that individual. Um, or it could be uh, much more complex than that. You can get into some different profit sharing types of, of loans and, and uh, different portfolio growth type of, of loans. There's so many different ways that you can, you can do that. But the most basic one that you can do is just simply a fixed rate of interest, um, Essentially, the individual who is loaning that capital now is acting as the bank rather than having an institution acting as the bank. And the terms that you line out with that individual are the terms that go 
uh, into that mortgage that is wrote up by the attorney. So everything gets papered up. It gets attached to that loan. Um, they issue issue the funds and and uh, you go you go purchase that property. So the loan itself is secured by the property, um, which makes it uh, which makes it good you know a, a good loan um, for the individual who's lending on it. Uh, and puts them in a position where, you know, they have that security of uh, if things go south with you, they have the right and the ability to foreclose on that on that property and take that property back um, as payment for the loan that they that they uh, issued to you. So private money loans can be a very, very powerful thing. You'd be amazed how many people are out there who actually want to do private money loans. Um, I've done a few myself. Uh, and and love them because you get a simple fixed rate of interest that you typically can't get uh, out there without being the bank yourself. So those are private loans. Uh, next, we're going to transition into just some of the, the more complex structures of loans and more complex capital raises um, because there are many different ways that you can that you can break into this. And I'm going to let James talk about those a little bit. But just to kick us off with that, um, you know, you can uh, get yourself into a position where you are actually issuing and selling securities, um, all governed by the SEC. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of nuance and complexity to doing this, but it is a fantastic way to raise private capital um, for funding real estate and for funding your different businesses. So uh, there is um, crowdfunding. Uh, Form C crowdfunding out of there, out there that you can do. Uh, you can also do private placement memorandums. Um, there's lots of different ways that you can raise capital, um, specifically to go buy real estate or just specifically to expand your real estate business. And I'm going to turn it over to James here to let him talk a little bit more about um, about that. He is the capital capital expert. Yeah, I think uh, you know this is where for me, real estate became pretty interesting because it became a, you know, a much larger numbers game. Um, you know, I have purchased a couple properties myself, uh, but as Norm and I have, you know, developed plat capital and really started building out that side of the business, we really started to think about what are the bigger things and kind of financing tools available, uh, you know, for, for folks like us to start building a portfolio while also, you know, bringing investors alongside us, um, you know, to, to join in on our vision as we build a portfolio. So I think that the interesting thing about these platforms uh, is that you want to make sure you're kind of tackling some form of a, a market or really building a portfolio. And, and the reason why is because oftentimes, whether you're doing crowd crowdfunding, um, you know, through a platform like Republic, uh, there's a couple real estate specific, you know, crowdfunding platforms that are out there as well. Oftentimes, uh, you know, even just to get those set up between the legal fees and some of the costs just to be on the platform, et cetera, you know, it's a pretty significant onboarding cost just to even get to the point where you can raise capital. Um, so you really want to make sure that if you're going to raise capital, you know, through kind of some of these distributed networks through crowdfunding or do, you know, a private raise with, uh, you know, accredited investors or something where you're actually selling shares, as Norm said, in a company, you have to go through the SEC and everything has to be compliant. Um, so, you know, you got to keep in mind as, as you're looking at an option like that, that there's going to be a, de a little bit of a, a decent upfront cost, you know, and for Norm and I, it made sense for us to really tackle, uh, you know, right now we're tackling North Carolina, uh, 
you know, beach, the beach market there. Uh, and so we, you know, went through the process of working with attorneys and, and standing up, uh, you know, a fund structure for Republic uh, to list our, you know, Republic campaign on there where we're, you know, raising $500,000 and we're going to, you know, then take that capital and, and deploy it and build a portfolio uh, of North Carolina, you know, beach houses. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. You really got to tackle and, and, and this is where it really becomes, you know, like a more sophisticated uh, business, right? It's no longer just you or a couple buddies going in on a property, uh, you know, or just kind of you taking an extra 10 grand you had in your bank account and, and trying to get a property with it. This is real dollars coming from real investors. Uh, and so, you know, this is really a way to level up in this space and really start building uh, a network of these sophisticated individuals who can help you move fast, right? They, you know, we have some folks that we work with where by the capital they're providing, we can move two or three times faster because we can raise, um, you know, half million or a million dollars uh, from a, a group of individuals and then go deploy that capital right away. Uh, and, and being able to do that is a real big advantage when you start trying to tackle some of these larger concepts of building a portfolio, uh, whether it's short-term rentals or across different areas. So definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting way to, to go about it. Um, you know, Norm and I have, have really enjoyed the process of getting listed on Republic. Um, and it's really showed us kind of the possibilities, right, that can come from from doing this where we've, you know, taken the lessons we've learned just from our Republic raise already uh, and are starting to apply them into some other capital raises that, you know, that we're working on. So definitely a very interesting thing to uh, to think about as you kind of become more sophisticated in your approach to to real estate investing. Norm, does that trigger any any questions or anything specific that you think would be good to hit on, whether it's stuff with Republic or private, uh, private funds, et cetera. No, no, I, I, I think what you had to say there was good. You know, there's, um, th there's just so many different levels. And in, once you start to get into the actual, uh, you know, kind of true blue SEC regulated capital raises, um, there's lots of rules, lots of, of, uh, different criteria that go around, uh, around them. So I, I would suggest that people actually get out there and start looking at it. Like, Go see what Reg CF is. Um, read Reg CF uh, on the SEC's website and actually understand. Like, what are the what are the requirements? What are the raises? How much money can you actually raise through um, that type of placement? Uh, go do some research on what a private placement is. Um, see what your your ability is to raise through a private placement, what types of investors. And there's just so many, so many terms and so many different things that um, you need to spend some time actually going through and learning. I think that, you know, learning the lingo and learning the language is probably the most important thing. So even if you have no intent of doing this at this point, go spend some time to learn the language and learn what those different things mean so that you can start to open your mind up a little bit more and understand what the capability and what the, what the possibilities are that are out there. Because I think you're going to find that uh, they're, they're pretty infinite um, and, and pretty crazy what you can, uh, can go out there and do when it comes to raising capital for your specific business. And I also think that you'd be very surprised how many people are out there who want to invest in those types of businesses, you know, want that 
kind of real estate backed type of business that they can uh, put up capital in because they just they've got the capital there. They want to utilize that capital. They want to utilize that capital and they need that. Um, they need that avenue to be able to go down to do that. So, you know, you're, you're almost doing just as much of a service for them as they are for you uh, by setting up something that allows them to bring that capital uh, as, as they bring that capital. Absolutely. All, all really great points. Um, You know, I, it's exciting. It really is when you, I think for me, when I started to get involved with my real estate journey, I, I didn't even realize, you know, some of these different ways that you can raise capital um, and, and use it to really start building a portfolio. So once you kind of get under the hood and you, you get a, a property or two, you, your mind really starts to open and, and uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting journey. You know, Norm and I are excited about the things we have going on with Flat Capital. Um, you know, in addition to that, obviously have other things we're working on as well. Um, you know, Norm's talked a lot about the new properties he's building, kind of constructing on the country club. And, um, so there's just a lot of exciting stuff, um, you know, and, and figuring out how these different loan products and tools can be used to help as you're building that vision of your portfolio is super important, um, because it's, it's knowing the exact tool to use at the right time, right? I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've learned is over over the, the short period that I've been doing this already is there's very specific tools for very specific situations. And if you know and understand and have a broad tool set, right, then they can, you can really use those tools to your advantage, as Norm said, in some of the situations he's used them in. So, you know, if you have any questions on, uh, you know, any anything with any of the financing or different loan products or different ways to raise capital that we've talked away, uh, talked about today, we're always available. Uh, you can drop us a line uh, on platcapital.co or connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, we hope this really provided some value today and, and uh, maybe taught you something new you didn't know or, uh, you know, helped helped kind of clear up some things as you're thinking through how you're continuing to build your portfolio. So appreciate everyone tuning in and, and have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone.